0: Welcome to the Mentium Matters podcast where we talk about leadership, life and the transformative power of mentoring. My name is Solley Brown and today I am thrilled to have Al Johnson as my guest. Al is the Vice President of Supplier Management for Granger, a Fortune 500 company. Al started at Granger as an intern in college and was hired full-time upon graduation. Al was recognized for his leadership skills early in his career and has consistently been promoted to new leadership positions at Granger. The University of Wisconsin-Madison honored Al with the 40 Under 40 Award. This is an award which recognizes alumni who have achieved extraordinary corporate, professional, entrepreneurial, and community and volunteer success. Al received his MBA from Northwestern University Kellogg School of Management, and he has also been an active volunteer in his community. Al was a mentee in 2010 and has just signed on to become a mentor for Mentium. Welcome, Al. I am so glad to have you as a guest today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor and a pleasure to be here.
0: Well, thank you. Al, I want to start off by reading one of your LinkedIn recommendations that someone who works for you recently posted. This person says, Al is a manager who challenges you, gives you guidance, motivates, and gives you credit for your achievements, a leader who pushes you to stretch, grow, and reach your goals. Thank you for your leadership. That is such a wonderful tribute to you as a leader. Can you tell me more about your leadership style and how you inspire people, drive change, and motivate people to take action?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think when you think about leadership, if you try to boil it down to one word, what is leadership? It's about influence. Um, And the ability to influence requires that you're able to connect, motivate, and inspire. And in order to do that, I've tried to do two different things in my leadership. One is understand from a macro level, what type of leadership is necessary for a team, right, or a collection of individuals. And from that macro level standpoint, I think for me, when I think about leadership, it's an opportunity to be visible, available, and connected. It's an opportunity to make sure I can help the team understand they understand where we've been, where we are, and where we're trying to go. Um, and from that vision, and then setting and establishing a culture of, you know, what are acceptable norms and behaviors for how we're going to operate to try to move, that's where I think um, setting team-based leadership uh, is, is important out of the gate for a leader at a macro level. But then to really get connected with people, you got to think about leadership from a micro level and say, a lot of what I do as a leader might be okay to uh, roll out um, at the highest level for the entire team to understand at once. But then I've got to understand that each individual team member is going to play a different role in going where I want us to go as an organization. And so how do you connect with people one-on-one individually to learn how to motivate and inspire individuals who might be all motivated to get to the same destination but the individual touch and push that's necessary to have each team member do their part and help them understand how important their part is and how valuable the work they are doing is for the business is when you do those two things at a macro and micro level you put yourself in the best position to have the best results um, as a leader and Luckily for me, I've had the time to just really learn different styles of, of leadership and learn different personalities. And then it's just trial and error over the years. And there's no def- the defensive playbook on how you're going to motivate and inspire people. Um, and then you think about just uh, the situation we're in with the pandemic, you also have to flex to the external environment and how you led a team or a person or both six months to a year ago is now very different today when you throw in components of a pandemic or virtual environment, so on and so forth. And as long as you can just stay actively aware that things are changing around you and flex your style as a leader, instead of expecting everyone to flex to you, um, you have a great opportunity to become known as a good leader and and drive high-impact results for your organization.
0: That is a great definition of leadership. I really appreciate the macro-micro distinction and how you have to have them both working in tandem with each other. So you have been a very young leader throughout your career. So I'm curious, how did you develop leadership skills and executive presence at such a young age?
1: Yeah, I think there's a, a couple things to unpack in that answer. Um, one is leadership has been role modeled for me since a very early age by my dad. My dad was a small business owner for the better part of 30 years, uh, my dad worked seven days a week. Uh, he would be up and at it by one thirty-two in the morning every day, regardless of of holiday or just uh, weekday or weekend. And my dad just really valued and always talked about hard work, integrity, um, education, work ethic was just not a stranger to my household. And seeing that on display every day, there were elements of leadership I picked up from my dad. They were both direct uh, when he was teaching and talking about things like leadership or being a, uh, a good employee or, or team member. Um, and then just some indirect things that you know, the more you see, you just develop this expectation that that's just the standard. The culture that was built and created in, in our household coming up was, again, one of integrity, honesty, hard work, teamwork. Um, and just seeing that from a very early age, I just knew that was kind of the expectation if you're going to carry the Johnson last name, right? Um, and then when you start to think about getting some actual practice, I was also very lucky uh, to have had a lot of mentors and coaches who poured into me and guided me and helped me understand that being a good leader sometimes is about asking questions um, versus directing or telling. Uh, that being a good leader was about being consistent and modeling the things that you, you preach. Um, that being a good leader was about making sure the things that are common sense when you hear them and when people nod their head in agreement with you. Um, On your team, that they actually understand and comprehend what you're um, talking about and how they can apply it, and then rewarding good behavior and addressing behaviors that aren't necessarily as positive. You start to think about all those little things that I just rattled off there. And the reason why leadership is so hard is doing all of that consistently and varying it by person is not an easy task. Um, And that's why I think you have a lot more management versus leadership. um, And when you can start to make that distinction, um, take help and ask for help um, then you put yourself in a position to make a real difference and again it's not easy um, I personally got a lot of room to uh, continue learning and growing as I continue on in my career but um, looking back as at those nuggets and knowing where I'm needing to adjust my leadership style is something I think helps me as a leader in our organization today.
0: Yeah, your dad sounds like he was a fantastic role model. What, uh, what a privilege to grow up seeing that, you know, like what he taught you explicitly and like you said, what he modeled just in the way he was and what your family culture was. Early in your career, Al, you played a lead role in creating Granger's generational business research group, whose aim was to identify, embrace and capitalize on generational differences. At present, there are five generations in the workplace. Do you have any tips for creating a strong multigenerational workforce?
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I think the the biggest thing with the generations um, now, when you think about resource groups in any organization they're all developed with the intent to unify um, and when you think about resource groups that may be gender or ethnic based um, there is still a, a bit of a divide in terms of what experiences different groups may have had as they've um, come up in life and even what they face today generational business resource groups are ones where Irregardless of your ethnic background, irregardless of your gender, um, sexual orientation, um, everyone can relate to each other by the fact that you belong to one generation or another, right? And I think no better group than generational resource groups do a great job of, of showing how by understanding each other, you can really work even better together. And I think for me, what I recognized as I was doing research on the different generations when I was leading that group was that there were a lot more similarities than than there were differences. And what I found is the values that we have across generations just manifest differently. That's all. And if you can just understand what someone is trying to communicate um, as they talk about their values, both with body language, with word choice, with behaviors, um, then you can really start to bring people together. So for example, I think baby boomers and millennials both really value the concept of family but it just showed up different. Baby boomers believe that if you value your family, perhaps you should work really hard and come into the office and do a good job at work so you can have job security, bring home a paycheck and take care of your family. Whereas if you're a millennial, millennials like I absolutely value family, but in our case I value my family so much I'd actually like to see them. So Is it okay if I got my work done a couple hours a week while I'm on the couch next to a significant other or some other member of my family and I can do tactical email while watching TV, right? As long as the work is getting done with quality, you just want a different way to express your values. And there isn't a a, a conflict of whether or not one generation or the other values family in this example, but how it manifests is different. If you're not aware of that and actually willing to talk through that, That's where values come into conflict and then generations come into conflict and we haven't learned how to work well together. Take that example and drop in any other value or drop in any other um, base for a resource group like ethnicity or gender. And really what you're talking about is having people who are coming together from different walks of life, understanding how to partner better together, understand one another. And when that happens, I think you have a chance to have a better society, period.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I like that example of how the underlying values were the same. It's just that how people enacted those values was different. And so it seems to me like you're saying, if you can create that understanding that people have similar values and understand how they choose to um, prioritize those values, that goes a long way in creating that unity in the workforce and creating an atmosphere where people can work together um, under any circumstances.
1: I would agree, yeah.
0: Um, in 2010, you were a mentee in the Mentium program, and now we are delighted that you've just signed up to be a mentor. Can you tell us, um, can you tell me more about this experience and what kind of impact being a mentee had on you?
1: Yeah, I, I think, again, um, as I mentioned in one of the, the earlier questions, is very lucky to have had great mentors shape me early in my career, and The Minion program um, was the the first one, the momentum um, cohort I was a part of, gave me a chance to pick up a mentor who at the time wasn't in, um, not only not in the same state, didn't work for my organization, right? So as someone in Minnesota. um, It was an opportunity for me to be really unguarded and open because this team member or this mentor um, didn't necessarily work within the organization. So I felt a lot more comfortable being open and honest about what I felt and what I was going through. Um, and then also, it was a time of my career where I was looking to learn more about finances. And so having a mentor um, who was in a finance arena gave me the chance to not only learn how to move and operate as a um, rising team member, but then also ask questions that maybe I didn't feel comfortable asking about finance within the four walls of my organization as I was building my confidence. And that's the other thing that I think came out of so many of my mentorships, is the confidence that I can learn anything if I'm humble enough to be patient focus, ask questions. And it was just a great experience early on that, you know, for me, continuing to have mentors and coaches all the way along has helped me get to the, the point I, I am at today in my career.
0: Yeah, that is a great, that is a great example. And I really appreciate that you are also committed to paying it back and helping those that come behind you also be successful and feel motivated and inspired. One of the things that you have become an expert on in your career is conflict management and negotiation. These are two areas that are really challenging for many people. Do you have any advice on how to be more effective in these areas? Yeah,
1: absolutely. I, I think when you're in the supplier management or procurement space, um, we're negotiating on, on, a, on a daily basis almost, especially during the pandemic where there's short supply and everyone's trying to get their hands on and as much material and supply as possible. I think it's about reframing um, how people think about the concept of negotiation. A lot of people don't like to negotiate because they think negotiation is a contentious um, conversation. They think it's conflict uh, that you're um, not able to to get through without someone feeling as though they lost, right? And so when people are in a win-lose mindset, they have nerves and anxiety. Um, people are afraid they're going to get the, the short end of the stick. And so they rather not negotiate. They don't have to. Um, I think that's why some people prefer not to move to buy a house, right? Some people prefer not to go shop for a new car because you're just afraid of all the information you've got to um, understand and know. And boy, did I get a good deal or not? Did I get taken advantage of. And to me, I try to reframe how people think negotiation, that it's an opportunity for two parties who may, out of the gate, have different points of view and might want different things. But again, if you can just really understand the common interest that do almost always exist between two people in a discussion, a negotiation should be a way to improve a relationship by seeking to understand a negotiation should be an opportunity for two people to advance forward in a meaningful way. Maybe one party moves much more forward than the other, but it should never be a situation where someone gets to take a step forward, but someone has sent two or three steps back. And so if you think about new and creative ways to address conflict and work together, negotiation and the work that we do in my space, at least, has proven to be a very effective way to get to know other people and help come out with better outcomes than you would have on your own. And if you go back to principles of leadership, it takes being able to be visible, available, and connected to work in order to um, come out with the best possible deal in negotiation. And so when people are having that mindset of doing more listening versus talking, understanding what the other side needs and wants, and trying to make sure you can take other people with you as you take steps forward. That's how we reframe what the, what a negotiation is within our organization, and it's paid dividends both in terms of how our relationships are improved with, with vendors, but then also how people are just now much more comfortable having tough conversations that can have some pretty cool outcomes when done the right way.
0: That is a great example of how the best strategy for conflict management and negotiation is changing your own mindset as you go into it. And um, uh, that's such a good example of how that anxiety kind of creates this tension. And if you kind of let that go and say, we're looking for common values and figuring this out together, that makes a huge difference. You are also known for strategic planning. Do you have a process that you use for strategic thinking and planning?
1: Yeah, I think that the framework for me generally starts with um, before you can be effective at at planning and execution, you have to have a a vision for where it is you're looking to go, right? And having a vision for where you want to go um, oftentimes starts with understanding again um, where you're at and, and where you've been, right? And in terms of where you've been, what worked well and what didn't work so well. And in terms of where you are, are you really clear about the fact, are you there because you, you intended to be where you are or are you where you are today because a lot of things did not go necessarily um, the right way? And so that reflection and recall to the past is very um, common where I'll start. Um, after having a vision in my head based off um, the, the past and the present, then you start to think about, all right, what are the logical steps that need to take place in order to get from point A to point B? And try to break things down into the smallest milestones um, possible without overdoing it. And so if I can come up with three to five major milestones to go from where I am today to where I want to be, that's normally the next step. And then from that, you know, having three to five milestones, what are the sub steps underneath each one of those milestones that starts to now give you a workable plan that you can digest. And then now as you communicate to others what your vision is and the change curve that you want to take the team on. You can break it down so that if you're talking to an executive you've got a couple of milestones three or five but if you're talking to the person who has to actually do the work you can give them the three to five milestones and the sub steps to go along with that in order to know what action to take that's also part of leadership again right the micro and macro levels and so you can see how i tie all these things together and you know the last thing is then making sure that you have pretty strong focus on execution of the right things which sometimes requires a trade-off. So you can have a really good plan, but if you don't have a plan on the things you're going to stop doing in order to do the things that are necessary, that's how sometimes really good planning gets stuck in a PowerPoint that looks pretty, it's got all the right buzzwords, people have nodded their head, but the execution falls apart. And this is where I think if you think about Steve Jobs, one of my favorite quotes from him was, they were equally as proud of all the things they said no to as the invention of the first iPad because had they not said no to some other stuff to stay maniacally focused on what the mission was in front of them, they wouldn't have got to the iPad or it wouldn't have been as good or would have taken much longer and maybe competitor gets there first. And so when you think about strategic planning, you've got to think about the vision and the execution that sandwiches it. And if you plan with those two things in mind, you're more likely to put together a thoughtful plan that has a greater probability of good execution.
0: That is a great blueprint for a strategic planning and it it fits for everything that you're doing for all parts of your life, not just business as well. So Al, we have time for three final questions. Um, The first one is, do you have habits that you feel have contributed to your success?
1: I absolutely do. I I think um, the first habit that I have is I'm an avid reader. Um, I, I can't go into Barnes and Nobles and leave without at least two books. And I probably read almost a book a week. Um, I'm just really big on 20 minutes uh, before I go to bed every night at a minimum reading. Uh, It's normally a book, but sometimes it can be a blog post or something online. I think the best leaders do a good job of not having echo chambers and they talk to more people than just their um, same small um, routine circle. And reading is a great way to not just connect with the author who wrote the book, but all the resources they use to write the book. You're getting so much knowledge into your mindset. I think the other habit that I have is just trying to get up as early as possible. Uh, I'm fresh early in the morning. And so in the morning, I tend to get up and tackle some of the hardest tasks that by the end of the day, I just don't have the energy to do. Um, That was an element of self-awareness that once I really picked up on, I got more effective and more efficient. Um, Instead of trying to do email first thing in the morning where I'm not using that fresh energy towards something that's harder email can be done again later in the day, again, perhaps maybe on the couch watching television, right? And so I would say those are, are two habits that seem simple, but um, most folks don't optimize their day in terms of their energy levels or read as much as maybe they could in order to build their knowledge base. But if you do those two things with repetition over the course of time, you start to build a pretty wide um, gap between you and those you might be competing against for, for a job perhaps.
0: Yeah, those are great habits. And I really like the reminder to manage your energy and don't get bogged down in the tasks that don't need your fresh energy you know, in the morning if that's your time for your most creative time. Okay. So Al, what would your advice be to up-and-coming leaders?
1: Yeah, I think my advice for up-and-coming leaders would be, one, um, leadership is about influence, right? And in order to influence, you have to connect. And I think the first thing you can do is start building connection currency with people in all walks of life so that when you need something, um, folks are willing to help you, right? So help enough other people get what they need and want in life, and ultimately you'll get what you need and want in life um, as well, both personally and professionally. I think the second thing I'd say is just get really good at being an active listener. Um, Sometimes people listen, but they are listening with the intent to respond or they're thinking about what they want to say next. I think some of the best advice I can give early career team members is spend time really understanding your environment and why people believe the things they believe and what their expectations are. That will then help inform how you act and then how you act generates the results that will start to become to, to build your personal brand. And then maybe the last thing is, you know, take risk, right? Um, fail fast and fail forward. Figure out all the things you don't like so that you can, um, you know, be really clear and aware of the things you do like at some point. And then when you find it, you can hold on to it. Right. But um, I think it's important early in your career to take risks, do things that maybe you won't be able to do later in your career for various reasons, whether it's you started a family or you get to a certain level and just aren't as many opportunities to to move around or move across and really take those first formative years to uh, begin to build who you are and, and recognize that it takes time. You, you won't figure it out in, in one or two years. I'm year 17 into my career, and I'm still learning a lot almost every day, having started a new role within the last 90 days. Um, and it's being open-minded that's allowed me to move quickly and, and be impactful um, in different places that I land. And it's something that even though that's what I did early in my career, here at the midpoint and into the later um, end of my career, I'll continue to operate that way as well.
0: Oh, thank you for that, Al. That's really, um, I really think that was fantastic advice. Final question. Do you have a favorite saying, quote, or motto?
1: I do. Um, and there's one, um, there's an African proverb that I actually just rolled out um, to my team. Um, and so there's a, a term, Ubuntu, uh, which means to go together. And um, there was a African proverb that, that says, um, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go with the help of others. And the concept of Ubuntu um, is a concept of working together as a team towards a common goal and a common mission. And so my leadership team actually just went through a book on the the, the topic of Ubuntu. And that African proverb that I just shared is one that we now live by um, every day. And in fact, we now sign emails off to each other with Ubuntu. And it's just a constant reminder that no one of us um, is smart enough fast enough or strong enough to go it alone and sometimes we might have to slow down but again from the concept of leadership influence is about slowing down to connect and if you slow down to connect and then go together um, what you can accomplish is probably just so much greater than what you ever thought on your own and so as I think about all the questions you've asked me today uh, they all do really jive well together um, and they jive well together towards one thing being uncommon. If if the answers to all these questions are actually put into practice, just half the time by most people, you're putting yourself on a path to be distinctive and to be uncommon. And when that occurs, you give a chance, um, a chance to create, again, a gap between you and others in the workspace and maximize your chances to get wherever it is you want to go.
0: Oh, Al, thank you for that. That is just a a wonderful quote and a wonderful motto to form a team by. Um, I really appreciate you being a guest today. I I appreciate learning about the macro and the micro levels of leadership and how you look at that, Um, the influence of your dad and the other great mentors that you've had throughout your career, the way that you look for values that are the same in people, and figuring out how to create a community and ways for people to work together, showing that their values are actually very similar. Um, and just finding that way for teams to work together, creating that synergy, and the reminder that we're all in this together. Um, I really, really appreciate this. has just been a I've learned so much just from talking to you. And I appreciate your time. And I wish you all the best in this new, new position that you have.
1: Thank so you so thank much you. For, for the for the time and opportunity today. It was a pleasure to be here. Um, the work that the Mentium organization is doing is, is highly valuable and, and needed in in the workforce today. So thank you so much for everything you guys are doing. And I look forward to continuing partnering with you guys over the time. Oh.
0: Thank you, Al. And thank you all for listening to this Mentium Matters podcast.